Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you are like me? You ever wish that you could ask God a question and get an immediate answer about something that you don't quite understand? A circumstance or a situation that you don't maybe even like or kind of wonder how it's going to work out, a, a future that feels uncertain and you just like to know where's this all going to lead and how's it all going to end? I don't know about you, but I feel that way sometimes. And, and you know, it's not wrong to ask God questions. Jesus did that on the cross, didn't he? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I've heard it said, it's not wrong to ask God questions, it's wrong to demand an answer, because sometimes his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, and, and he, he sees the bigger picture, and he sees things that we cannot see, and, and we don't always get the answers that we would like, but sometimes it would just be nice to be able to ask him a question and get an answer on some things, isn't it? How's this going to work out? What's going to happen here? I'm, I'm a naturally inquisitive and analytical person. I love, and, and it's not something I have to work at, some of you might not be this way, I, I love meeting new people, I love going new places, I love learning new things. If I have a meal with someone, it's not usually hard for me because I truly like to learn about, tell me about what you do and your business and how does that work and your upbringing and your family. And I really just love to hear from different people and different experiences. And, and so if anytime I go on a tour of any kind, I am always, if they ever say, anyone have any questions? My kids know, they start looking like trying to hold me back. My wife squeezes my hand like, no, you don't have any questions. And I'm always the one, I'm asking questions. Well, what about this? And what about that? A few of you, Kaylee, who just sang here, uh, we were in D.C. With, with her class and a couple others. We had flown overnight on a school D.C. trip. And we landed, and the first thing we did, we landed, I think it was the Baltimore airport or, the, or Dulles, one of them, and we drove to uh, George Washington's Mount Vernon after a red-eye flight, and we got there and we're touring, and 7th, and, 8th, uh, eighth, or 8th, ninth, 10th graders already maybe aren't, at, some of them, as excited about museums uh, anyways, and then going on no sleep and red-eye flights, they were tired. But we got there, and to my wonder and surprise— there was a person from George Washington's time wearing the outfits. He had, I don't know how he was still alive, but he had been brought up in George Washington's house. And I found that out because I asked him questions. I said, now what was it like when George, and he said, oh, well, we, and he spoke in present tense. He was there. He was a part of George. And so this was my chance. I could ask every question I wanted, and so for like 20 or 30 minutes with children fainting and falling down, exhausted on the grass, I asked all the questions I could think of. I love to ask questions, whether wherever I might be, if there's something. Those that were with us in Israel in September, our church took a trip. You can attest to that fact. When we were walking from site to site, I would often be right at the front, right next to our tour guide, Avi, and, and asking him questions and biblical support and, and his opinion and different things. I like to know the answers to things that I have questions about. In our study of Genesis this morning, we're going to be in chapter number 15, Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to see this morning a message that I've titled, Abram's Q&A with God. Abram's Q&A with God. Wouldn't it be cool to sit down 
and have a question and answer time with God. To ask him questions and to get those answers. And here's the reality, we're all going to get to do that this morning. And really what Abram asks, some of his questions are really the biggest questions that most of us face that come into all of our lives at some point. And I believe, if you'll stick with me for the next few moments of this service, I believe that we'll be able to see the nature and the character and the heart of God and understand some of those questions, uh, some of those answers to the questions that we often asked. By way of context, remember where we're at here, we're with Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot have gone out, Abram's left his hometown, he's brought his nephew Lot with him. Their business has boomed. Um, Because of that, they had to kind of separate where they're going to live. Lot has then chosen to go into Sodom and Gomorrah, a place of great wickedness, and he's been bringing his family up there. Last week we saw in chapter 14, there was a coalition of four kings that, that started a fight, a battle with a coalition of five kings, and Lot and his family got kidnapped. They got taken hostage out of Sodom. And Abram last week, my message was fight for your family. Abram last week, he went and he went and took 318 soldiers that had been trained, or they weren't really soldiers, but they were were men that worked in his house that were on the side ready to become soldiers if needed, and took them and they rescued Lot. You remember that last week? And they brought Lot and his family out. And the way that the chapter ended, the chapter ended um, with the king of Sodom offering Abram great riches. Hey, you've brought all our stuff back, you've rescued all of our people, you can have whatever you want. And Abram says, I don't want anything, I didn't do this for personal gain, I did this because I care about the people, I care about the souls of of those that I love. And, And so now that's where we're at at the end of chapter number 14, and this morning we're gonna see three questions that Abram asks after this great victory. After he had won this great victory, had brought his family back, had brought them back, um, we see three questions. The first question we see here in chapter 15 is a question of fear. A question of fear. By the way, it is often after times of great victory and blessing that we can struggle with fear and discouragement. It is after, often after times of great, where things are going well and on the mountaintop, often after the mountaintop is the valley. Isn't that what happened with Elijah? Great victory, and, and he, had, he, had, he had seen God do a, an amazing victory over the prophets of Baal, and then what? One woman threatening him, Jezebel, had him in utter depression and discouragement, doubting God. And it seems counterintuitive that after a mountaintop there would be a valley, but we see that in the life of Abram here, we see it in Elijah, we see it in Noah, we see it in David and others, and it's a good reminder to guard your heart after times of victory and defeat, and to guard your spirit. The question of fear that we're going to see here is actually, and I don't usually like to try to impose things upon the text, I I want to try to let the text speak for itself, Uh, the question of fear here is actually unasked in the text. We don't see in the text Abram actually asking a question, but we can infer that there is a question of fear because of God's answer. The other two questions I'm not imposing on the text, they are very clearly there in the text, but here we start chapter 15 right away with the answer, which tells us God knew what Abram was facing, and Abram was sitting after this great victory, sitting there in fear. Uh, if you will, look at, look at chapter number 15. And, and you can see chapter 15, verse number one. Would you read that verse aloud with me? Chapter 15, verse number one. Ready? 
begin. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram, what were the words of the Lord that came? The two words, what did he say? Fear not. By the way, it's the first time in all of Scripture we find the phrase, the word of the Lord came. It's the first time we we find that in Scripture here, the word of the Lord came, and the first word of the Lord was, fear not. Why is that? Because in the human condition, often we struggle with fear. What is fear? Fear is, 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 is us focusing on the uncertainty of what's to come. That's really what fear is. What could be? I'm fearful of what might happen in my marriage. I'm fearful of what might happen with my children. I'm fearful of what might happen with my finances, with my career. I'm fearful of what might happen in this relationship. Fear is something about the future, and you have to understand what has just happened. Abram has just won a great victory, but based on God's answer, I believe one thing that Abram was fearful about was his own protection. You see, he had just gone in to the conquering kings and taken their spoil and taken the people that they had brought out of, uh, those that they had conquered. So now he's got what was a a victors, victors over here, victorious military group, victorious, and now he started a fight with them. He just came in. And so now Abram's thinking, I just did what was right. I went to fight for my family. I believe what Abram's thinking is, are these guys going to come back, those that just conquered Sodom, just conquered Gomorrah, and are we going to be enough? We were able to surprise them. We came in under the cover of night. They weren't expecting us. We won the victory. We got our people. We got out of their fast. But what if they come seeking revenge? What, who's going to protect us? My 318 farmers that I taught how to use, how to use their weapons, I don't know that we can stand up against the, the, this coalition of four different, four different kings and, and their nations, so he's scared about his protection. What else is he scared about? I believe maybe there's a fear of his provision. What has he just done? He's chosen not to compromise his integrity and his values and said no to great material gain. And I believe like all of us, maybe he was sitting there thinking, did I make the right choice? Should I have maybe taken that reward from from the king of Sodom? Well, I wonder if God's still going to take care of me. Why do I? I believe that it was, a, it was a focus and a fear about his protection and his provision. Why do I believe that? Because what did God say? He said, fear not. By the way, the same thing that as we celebrate the Christmas story, what did the angel say to Joseph and to Mary? I've got a great plan for you, but it's a plan you don't quite understand. You're going to be with child without ever having known a man. And Joseph, don't, don't divorce your wife. Don't divorce your wife-to-be, that one that you're a spouse to. Don't divorce Mary, don't put her away privily, because I've got a great plan, but God, your plan is scary. What are people going to think? What are they going to say? And what did the angel say? Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Behold, I bring you great tidings, good tidings of great peace, which shall be to all people, all throughout Scripture. Now, this is the first time we see it, but you find all through Scripture, fear not. Fear not. And then what did he say? Fear not what? Abram. Fear not, Abram. What did he, by the way, don't you, aren't you glad that God knows us by name? He knows exactly where you're at. Fear not, Abram. The first time we see the word of the Lord came in, in Scripture, it's a personal statement to Abram. Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I am your shield, your protection. And not just kind of a a nice participation trophy, not just kind of, you could have got 
the world had a lot of good stuff to offer, and you had to settle for me, Abram. Not just you could have gotten rich from the king of Sodom, but you followed me, and so now you kind of get to enjoy your life. He said, no, I am your exceeding great reward. And may I just stop and say that a life lived for God and the blessings of God, they, they, the, the, the things that this world offers pale in comparison. There's nothing that this world can offer Jesus the exceeding great reward. And Abram's sitting there struggling. What's my provision going to look like? I tried to do right, and I might have messed up here. What's my protection going to look like? And God says, fear not, Abram. I am your exceeding great reward. I am your shield. He's scared about finding his purpose, his protection. God is your purpose, Abram, his his provision. And so we see here Abram's question, really, and it's an unasked question, what's going to happen now? I'm not enough. I don't have enough. And do you ever find yourself asking that question with a little fear, a little trepidation, a little uncertainty? What's going to happen now? How's this going to work out? Where's this going to lead? Where are we headed? And what did God, what was God's answer to what's going to happen now? His answer was, I am. I am thy shield and exceeding great reward. I am. Those, those words, for those that have been, have read through the Bible a little bit, those are some familiar words. Because what did God tell Moses? What is God going to tell Moses? This is pre-Moses. What is God going to tell Moses in Exodus when Moses is really scared about God's plan? Moses, I want you to go into Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth, and I want you to tell him to let all of the Jewish people leave Egypt. And, and Moses says, whoa, I don't, I don't, number one, I, I, I stutter and like, I'm not the right guy. And God said, who made your mouth? I did. Throw your rod down, turns into a snake, pick it up, turns back into a rod. I'm in control here. I've got it under control. Trust my plan. And then Moses says, well, when they ask, who told you to come tell me to let my people go? What did he say? Tell them that I am, that I am sent you. The I am, the great I am is God. He is everything that we need. Moses was looking for some power, some some kind of um, credibility. He was looking for that. And God said, I am all that you need. Abram, fear not. Why? Because I am your, don't worry about if you have enough soul soldiers and enough weapons and enough of a plan and enough training, I am your shield. Don't worry if you have enough provision and and you're going to be taken care of, I am your exceeding great reward. God's I am is perfectly adequate for man's I am not. Do you ever struggle with what you're not? I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not whatever enough. I haven't had enough opportunities. I, I didn't get enough training. I'm, I'm, I'm too much this. I struggle with that. I, and you can fill in the blank. We all have it, don't we? And by the way, you're not the only one. Moses told God he couldn't use him. Gideon told God he couldn't use him. You go all through Scripture, it's people saying, I'm not enough. I'm not enough for you to use. And over and over and over and over again, God says, you don't have to be because I am. Whatever you're scared about, my plan in your life, I am enough, God says. 
What are you fearful about, Christian? Are you struggling with your purpose? What may be coming that you can't see? God said, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. It was an answer of protection, of provision and purpose. Rest in me, I am. That answer of protection, provision and purpose. Abram, I am everything you're worried about. Everything you think you may be missing out on. Abram didn't take you, look back at the end of chapter 14. He said to the king of Sodom, I won't even take a shoe latchet. I'm not going to take shoelaces from you. I won't take anything. He said, and and Abram's wondering, what did I miss out on by not compromising my integrity, my values, by following God? And he said, you missed out on a shoelace, but I'm going to give you real estate you can't imagine. I'm going to give you joy and a future and children and land. It's all in this chapter, in chapter 15. You missed out on a little something, and I'm going to give you way more than you could ever imagine. More land, more children, more joy, more blessing, more purpose. No need to fear for the future, Abram, because I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. An old farmer was once asked how he'd been so prosperous in his business. He answered the the person that asked, he said, well, I made an agreement with God that I'd always give him his share. And as he shoveled into my bin, I would shovel back into his bin. He said, what I learned is God has a bigger shovel. And you know what Abram's learning right here? That God indeed has a far bigger shovel than anything he could imagine or the world had to offer. Do you struggle with fear about what might be? Let God answer that. God, how's this going to work? And where's it going to go? And how am I going to provide? And I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. Christian, he is your shield. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. He is your exceeding great reward. What are you living for that you think will satisfy? And it's an empty reward every time. It feels good in the moment, and sin, there's pleasure in sin for a season. And, and that thing I thought, when I got that, then it would satisfy me. And when I got there, then it would satisfy me. When I got that degree, I thought I'd be satisfied. And when I got that promotion, I thought I'd be satisfied. And when I had that relationship, I thought I'd be satisfied. And when I had that material possession, I thought I'd be satisfied. And all of those rewards, as Solomon found out in Ecclesiastes, they came ringing up empty. What does God say? I am your exceeding great reward. It never comes up empty. The blessing of the Lord, he maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. God is everything we need. Look at the next verse and we see a question of disappointment. So this is interesting and it encourages me because sometimes we think the heroes of the Bible were made of some superhero material that you and I aren't made of. You ever feel that way? Well, yeah, of course, but it, you look at all the superheroes of the Bible, and they all struggle with the exact same stuff you and I struggle with, with fear, with doubt, with disappointment. So think about it. God just told Abram, as Abram must have been sitting there in some, in some fear, in some uncertainty about the future, did I make the right choice? Well, what's this going to mean? Am I going to be hunted down by these armies? And God said, Abram, fear not. I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. And look, think about if you heard that specifically. We just talked about having a Q&A with God. If God told you, Joe, I'm your shield, you don't have to worry about the future, I'll protect you. I'm your exceeding great reward. You would say, I got everything I need. You think you would. If you would, you're better than Abram. Let's see what Abram said right when he heard that. Verse number two, and Abram said, Lord God. What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus, his chief of staff, is the heir to all of his riches. Right after hearing that God was his shield and his exceeding great reward, what does Abram say? 
God, what are you going to do about this problem? I'm really disappointed in what, what you've done in my life. Now remember, it's been years since God promised Abram he would have a child that God would bless and would make a nation of. Years. God made a really exciting promise to Abram that they believed, they were excited about, and it didn't come to fruition. Now it will, but it hadn't yet. And you know what Abram is? He's living in disappointment over what he views as an unfulfilled promise from God. I get that you're my shield and my exceeding great reward, but what do you, how are you going to make up for the fact that I still don't have that child you promised? You ever get there where you get disappointed in the circumstances you find yourself in? It's not what you would have chosen. In fact, it feels like it goes against what God promised. And, and you, God, I, I, great, you're my shield, my exceeding great reward, but what about where it meets the rubber meets the road? This thing you promised that you know is my heart's desire, that you know I want, and it's not there. You ever been there? Abram asked the question maybe some of us would like to ask. God, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to look at, if you will, at verse number three? And Abram said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. You haven't given me any biological children, God, a question of disappointment. You say that I'm your shield, and, and you're my shield and my exceeding great reward, but you promised me years ago you would give me a child, and I still have no child. I believed you, but it seems like you haven't come through. Do you ever feel like that in your Christian life? I believed you, I trusted you, I followed you, and it seems like, God, you haven't come through. You tried trusting God. You tried trusting His promises. You've grown disillusioned, if you're honest. You've grown discouraged. You've grown disappointed in some situation. I just want to tell you this morning, now I, won't, I don't want to encourage you to stay there, but if you find yourself disillusioned, discouraged, disappointed in, in some of the things, the ways that life has worked out or some of the things God has allowed in your life, I, don't, I do, don't want to encourage you to stay there, but I do want to encourage you, you're not the first one there. Abram was there. And I want you to see God's answer. Look what God said in verse number four. And behold, there it is again, the second time it says, the word of the Lord came. I just want to stop and throw a little caveat in here. When you're facing fear, when you're facing uh, disappointment, it is much better to place your trust in the word of the Lord than in your feelings. Amen. Abram was struggling with his feelings. Feelings of fear, feelings of uncertainty, feelings of disappointment, and the word of the Lord came to give him assurance to give him stability. Place your faith in the word of the Lord, not in your feelings. Look at verse number four. He says, and the word of the Lord came on him saying, this shall not be thine heir. Eliezer isn't the one getting all your stuff, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. I just want to stop here and say, impossible. But with God, nothing's impossible. You see, Abram at this time is in his 70s. You're not going to have children in your 70s, you're, you're, or maybe he was in his 80s, his wife was in his 70s at this point. When your wife is in her 70s, you're not going to have children. And by the way, they, they believed this, but they kind of didn't believe it because we're going to find this out in the next few weeks, the next chapter. Okay, it's going to come from my bowels, but not from my wife, so he's going to go in unto his handmaid, Hagar, and, and we're going to see where that all led, and uh, that's another story, another sermon for another Sunday. Verse 5, and he brought him forth abroad. Look at what God says. And he says, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. That's an impossible promise. 
a man with no children, and God saying, if you can count the stars, and if you can't count the stars, your seed, by the way, that is the Jewish people today, I I, want to say everything God promised in this chapter 4,000 years ago has proven to be 100% true today. And, and he says, your sea, you want, you're not going to be able to count them. You're not going to know that it's going to be like the sand of the sea and the stars. He didn't say there's going to be as many of the uh, uh, descendants as the stars. He said, like you can't count the stars, you're not going to be able to count your seed. So what is Abram's question, this question of disappointment? What is his question? God, will you ever come through? You promised me something. Will you ever come through? Been there? Would you like to ask God that question maybe sometimes? What's God's answer? I will. God, I'm scared. How's it all going to work out? I am. God, will you ever come through? I will. An answer of his power. By the way, again, what he was promising was humanly impossible, but God is giving him an answer of his power. I can do abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. I can do things that seem humanly impossible, things that you think there's no way. Abram thought, it's done. My heir is Eliezer, my chief of staff. It's already in my will. I've written it out. He's getting all my stuff. God, you promised me a few years ago something, but you didn't come through. And God says, I give you an answer of my power. Even if you don't understand how or when or why, I can and I will come through. I will do what I have promised you. I will, even if it seems impossible, rest in his power, Christian. Rest in his protection. Rest in his provision and rest in his power. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Would you read verse 6 aloud with me this morning? Verse number 6, let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. And he believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. That word believe, as you study the Hebrew root word, that word believe means to lean your whole weight upon. That's what it means. To lean your whole weight upon. If I put my whole weight here and somebody moves this pulpit, what's going to happen? I'm going to fall. I have to trust that this is going to stand. And if it doesn't, I'll fall flat on my face. God said, Abram believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. I don't know about you. Any, anybody in here, you're not a big fan of heights. Let me see. Anybody not a big fan? The older I get, the less a fan of heights I am. When I was younger, I went skydiving. I, went, I loved roller coasters. I, the older I get, I don't like heights. It was probably, oh, now I guess it'd be 15-ish years ago, our family, I think our kids were two, four, and six maybe, is that right? We went on a road trip, about a 6,000-mile, 19-day road trip with a two, four, and six-year-old. Doesn't that sound like fun? Thing, thing was, it was actually a blast. You don't know what you don't know, and so we were just like, this is going to be great. So it was. We had a, we had a blast. We drove, we drove, went to our, my, my, my brother's wedding out in Iowa, but we drove down along the south, southern part of the country and then back along the northern part, 19 days, a family wedding, a bunch of stuff. Um, um, Sledding down sand dunes in New Mexico and Great Wolf Lodge in Texas and Silver Dollar City in Missouri and stayed on a working farm in, in uh, Iowa and visited uh, Mount Rushmore and, and all these places, did all this stuff. We decided, because we wanted to try to make good time the first night, to leave after church on Wednesday night and drive through the night through Thursday morning. And so we did that. We loaded up our two, four, and six-year-old in the car, and we drove through the night from Northern California to the Grand Canyon. And I think we have a picture that I took that day of the Grand Canyon. It was the first time I'd ever seen the Grand Canyon. At that time, I wasn't as, as not f- 
enjoying heights as I am today. But even there, it was a little bit, it was, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it's an awe-inspiring thing. It's a, the pictures don't do it justice. It's amazing. And we're standing there, and I have two four- and six-year-olds, and you know what I did not want them doing? I did not want them getting near the rail. And, and I wanted to get a picture. I remember as we woke up, we had, no, woke up, I'd been driving the whole time, so I was awake, but as the kids woke up and we got them out, Titus was sick, he was like three or four years old, sick to his stomach, and uh, I think we have a picture of the kids, but I was going to make, you can see him, he's like, he's like, don't take a picture of me, Dad. I was like, this is the only time we're ever going to be at the Grand Canyon, you're getting a picture here. And, and so you can see the rail back there, but you can see I have them a couple of feet away from the rail. The next picture shows our family, and Titus still not enjoying the Grand Canyon very much. Um, but, but here we are, and you know what? There's a picture where Ashton kind of had her hand on there. You know what we were not allowing them to do? We were not allowing the kids to push each other into that rail. We were not allowing the kids to climb up on that fence. I, now, if today, if I saw my kids, you know, hope they wouldn't be Bradley and Jamie, but climbing on the preschool fence over there, I wouldn't be that worried. I w- but here, I, w- I was not going to put my whole weight upon that rail. I was not going to put my faith upon that rail. But Abram, it says, he believed the Lord. Notice this. He believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Abram's doubt turned to faith, and he experienced the salvation of the Lord. And I want to I do a little commercial right here and let you know, people in the Old Testament—you um, can take that picture off, Tej. I think we're done looking at uh, you guys. People in the Old Testament got saved exactly the way that people in the New Testament did, by grace through faith. You know how Abram became, how Abram got the gift of eternal life? By believing in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. If you're going to go to heaven when you die, you know how it's going to happen? You have to believe in the Lord, and the Lord will count it to you for righteousness. It wasn't Abram's works. It wasn't Abram's good deeds. It was Abram's faith in God. And by the way, you say, well, I'm not sure that's talking about salvation. The New Testament talked about it three or four different times. It goes back to this verse. You can jot it down. I won't take the time to go there, but I'd encourage you to go read yourself Galatians 3.6 and Romans 4.3 and James 2.23. Galatians 3.6, Romans 4.3, and James 2.23. Those three passages point back right here. Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, and God counted him for righteousness. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home. It's not about becoming a member of Liberty Baptist Church. It's not about giving money in the offering afterwards. It's not about doing some good works. It's not about your good works outweighing your bad. It's about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will count it to you for righteousness. That is what salvation is. Abraham's righteousness came not because of his works, but because of his faith in the one who had great power. Understand this as it relates to our salvation. On the cross, our sins were put on his account. And when you trust him as Savior, his righteousness is put on your account. Don't get too excited. But on the cross, he took every one of your sins and put it on his account. And if you trust him as Savior, the perfect, sinless Son of God, the righteousness of Christ is imputed onto your account. 
The unsearchable riches of Christ becomes yours. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter number two, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. I love this, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us. There was a long list of your sins and mine, and on the cross, Paul said to the church at Colossae, he took that and he nailed it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When you, like Abram, place your faith and trust in Christ alone as Savior, every one of your sins gets put on. In fact, it's not already put, Christ has already put them on his account, but then you get, the transaction is, you get the righteousness of Christ on your account. What a beautiful picture, and it happened for Abram the same way it will happen for you, by, by faith, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's how we're saved, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. When you fear, rest in his protection and his provision. When you're disappointed because of what's missing in your life, rest in his power to give you everything you need. And the last question from Abram we see a question of doubt. So he believes the Lord. (laughs) Isn't this how it works for us? Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. He believes the Lord, and God counts it to him for righteousness. Now look at verse number seven. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land I inherited. Abram, I brought you safe this far. What are you worried about tomorrow for? I'm the one that got you to this point in your life. Man, it's such a beautiful text. Because it's the same stuff we go through. God, what about tomorrow? I brought you safe this far. I'll lead you safely home. Why are you worried? Why are you, why are you disappointed? Why are you doubting me? And notice what Abram says. So God says, I'm going to give you all of this. And here's what Abram says, verse number eight. And he said, again, Q&A with God. Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Do you have a sign for me, God? Is there like a contract somewhere that I can put up in my wall to remind me? Is there, is there any, like, how, how do I know? Isn't that us? Question of fear, I'm your shield, exceeding great reward, I am. Trust me, rest in my provision, rest in my protection. You don't have to, you don't have to live in fear, fear not. Well, but God, what are you going to do about this situation that I'm disappointed about? You made a promise and you haven't come through yet. Question of disappointment, I will. I've got it under control. I'm a God of great power. I know you think it's impossible, but with me, nothing's impossible. And then that question of doubt, how am I going to know? Okay, you say that. How how am I going to know? A question of doubt here. Do you ever doubt that God's word could be true? Current events and circumstances seem to make some of his promises impossible. God answers now, and we're going to wrap this up. God answers with something that seems really weird to us the rest of the chapter, because uh, uh, we don't really understand the culture and context that Abram lived in some 4,000 years ago in the Middle East. And it's why it's so important to, as we read the Bible to read it in context and even to understand the cultural context of what we're reading. I want you to read the next five or six verses with me, and it's a really weird answer. So Abram asks, he, he asks him, is, is, how am I going to know this is true? Look at, look at the next, look at verse number nine. What is God's answer? This is kind of a weird answer. And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a goat, a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. 
And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. Now get the picture. Three animals, two birds. I want you to go. You're the butcher. I want you to cut these animals, a goat, a ram, a heifer, a cow. I want you to cut them up, cut them in half, and you put one half of the cow on this side and one half of the cow on this side. You're going to divide them. Now, the birds are too small. You're not going to divide them. Put one bird on this side, one bird on that side. That's what's happening. Really weird answer. Verse 11, when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Interesting here. God is in a dream or a vision. He's telling Abram some things, and he's actually not only giving a promise, but he's giving a prophecy. He says, I am going to make a great nation of you. You're going to have all this land, but there's going to be a time that they're not going to live for me, and they're going to be brought out of this land, and they're going to have about 400 years of bondage. What do we know with the hindsight of history Exactly that happened. They were taken for 430 years into Egypt. So God is giving Abram a little insight. Then he says, he says in verse 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. That would be Egypt. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. By the way, that is what happened. God's giving a prophecy, and it came true. Verse 15, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. You're not going to be a part of this, Abram. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for their iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass, look at this in verse 17, it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, this is interesting, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Okay, so here's the picture. I promise you, you're disappointed, and now you're doubting. You're doubting that what I've said is true. How am I going to know what you're telling me is true? Get some animals, cut them up, put them aside. And what happens in verse, was that 16 we were just in, the last verse, 17, the last one we read, where a furnace and a lamp go through? Here's what happens. That's a theophany. That means it's an appearance of God. Remember Moses in the burning bush? That's a theophany. God came and spoke through the burning bush. This is God, and here's what's happening. This is very interesting as you read it. What, just, what God just described in this day was known as cutting a covenant. They were cutting a covenant. If you and I make a legally binding thing, what are we going to do? Let's say if, if a bank loans us money and we promise to pay it back, what are we going to do? We're going to go sign a contract and we're going to say, if I don't pay it, here's the penalty. If I don't pay it, you come repossess my car. If I don't pay it, you come repossess my house. If I don't, if, if this, uh, and we have, we have these, these covenants that have then, uh, we sign them, we have a contract. This is how they did contracts then. And what it was is they put the animals, it's called cutting a covenant, put the animals on both sides. And then those that were making the covenant would walk between them. And it was a physical, just like 100 years ago, they might have shaken hands, a physical expression of, here's what I'm saying, yes, I'm making a covenant, and if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, I deserve the same fate as these animals. That was what's happening here. Walk, and they would, both parties would walk through those animals, and, and they were saying, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, I deserve to die. Now, here's what's beautiful and what's interesting is how many people walked in the midst of the animals, how many parties in this covenant? It was only one. Abram was dead asleep, 
And it was only the theophany, it was only God who walked through. What was it? It was God saying, this is my promise, Abram. It has nothing to do with your efforts. It has nothing to do with your goodness. You don't have to worry about holding up your end of the bargain. It is all my end of the bargain. And here's what God is saying as he walks up. If I don't keep this, then let me be as these animals. And here's what we know about God. He cannot lie and he cannot die. And he's saying, if I'm lying, then then let me be as these animals. I'm dying. And it's beautiful because Abram had nothing to do with holding up the covenant, and neither do you, and neither do I. God said a a, a question of doubt, but how do I know? How are you going to show me? What can you do? And God says to him, Abram, I've made you a promise. I've made that promise. There's nothing you can do to break it. It is all on me. Now read verse 18. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river of Euphrates. What is Abram's question of doubt? How will I know? How do I know it will happen? How do I know you will hold up your end of the bargain? And what is the answer in verse 18? He said, Unto thy seed have I given. Past tense. He said, I've already done it. I have given. It's already done. My plan that you can't see is already in motion. Again, I want to remind us that everything he promised him 4,000 years later has proven to be 100% true. You can rest in his promises. Even when we don't see it, he already knows, and it's already done. Abram wondered if it ever would come true. God told him it would, and it's proven to be trustworthy. It was an answer of God's promise. Trust me, Abram. I have a plan, and I will perform it, and if I don't, let me be like these animals. Warren Wearsby said, When Abraham was concerned about himself, God assured him by saying, I am. When he was concerned about his heir, he he heard God say, I will. And when he was concerned about the land, he, he heard God say, I have given. Are you struggling with fear this morning? You're not enough. You don't have enough. Rest in God's provision. Rest in God's protection. Rest in his I am. Are you struggling with disappointment? It didn't turn out the way that you wanted The situation is impossible. Rest in God's power. I will. Are you struggling with doubt? How do I know it's going to happen? Rest in God's promises. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with doubt or uncertainty about your eternal destination, the Bible says there's a place called heaven and a place called hell. And it's where we will live eternally. We are eternal souls. That's part of us. We're triune people. But we, we have an eternal soul that will live forever, the Bible says. And if you're struggling in fear or doubt, God, will I spend eternity in heaven or in hell? Rest in his promises. Make today the day of your salvation. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, like Abram in verse 6, you can believe in the Lord and your faith, not your works, your faith will be counted to you for as righteousness. Your sins forgiven. Christ will become your Savior. Heaven, your home. What questions are you struggling with this morning? Rest in Him. Abram had a Q&A with God. A question of fear. Abram, I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. Rest in my protection. Rest in my provision. But God, I got a question of disappointment. You promised a child and it's not going to happen now. Abram, 
I will keep my promises. Rest in his power to keep his promises. A question of doubt, God, how are you going to do that? Rest in his plan. I've already, I've already done it. You just don't see it. Church family this morning, if you're struggling with one or more of these questions, a question of fear, a question of disappointment, or a question of doubt, may I encourage you, the great I am still is. The great I am still is. The I am that brought comfort to Abram, that was everything he needed. The great I am that was everything Moses needed. The great I am, Jesus, that was everything that they needed in the Gospels, he still is. You struggling with some questions? Rest in his provision. Rest in his promises. Rest in his plan. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, make today the day that, that his righteousness is imputed onto your account. Let him take your sins. He already did, by the way. Accept his free gift of salvation by faith. And, and embrace and receive, not because of who you are, but because of who he is, the righteousness of Christ. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.